it's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. A quote from Marriage.com says, A husband and a wife may disagree on many things, but they must absolutely agree on this, to never, ever give up. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Well, Rick, our question is, how vital are my vows of marriage? And our theme text is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, how vital are my vows of marriage? So coming up in today's podcast, oh, before coming up, Julie is joining us today. Hello, Julie. Hello, So this is a beautiful but tough subject. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, beautiful but tough, she says. Coming up in today's podcast, we know that marriage is a serious commitment, but how serious? The Bible defines its seriousness in very, very specific terms, and they are not to be trifled with. We're going to find out more about this in about 15 minutes. If we're supposed to be so deeply dedicated to our spouse, how are we supposed to handle it when they're taken from us? Well, in about 30 minutes, we're going to hear from a CQ volunteer who had this very thing happen to him. You don't want to miss that segment. To keep our marriages strong, what does the Bible say that we should do? Some of the answers are actually really surprising. We're going to talk about them in about 45 minutes, but first, let's lay some groundwork. And they lived happily ever after. (laughs) That's really not groundwork, but (laughs) this is such a promising and bliss-filled ending that it is sought after and hoped for by so many. Who wouldn't want the prospect of happiness and contentment as a recipe for their married life in all their coming days? The truth of the matter is that at the rate we're going, this dream is a mere fantasy for most married couples. Now, I know this is going to sound harsh, but the reality is that there are two things about marriage that most of us try and avoid. First and foremost, marriage is not a love-driven relationship but a commitment-driven relationship that is fed by love. And that's hard. Secondly, it's a lot of work. Though it sounds hard and even daunting, marriage is profoundly worth the effort. So how hard should we be willing to work to keep this commitment? How unbreakable and important are the till-death-do-us-part vows that we took? These are some of the initial questions, and we've got a lot of ground to cover as we look at marriage and try to understand what it means right deep down from a scriptural perspective. So, Jonathan, here's how we're going to start this. First, the Bible is explicit, very, very explicit regarding marriage. It's called a covenant, specifically a covenant of God, and we're going to define that in a little bit. But let's start with the word covenant. What does covenant mean in the Bible? Let's start with the Old Testament. Jonathan, what do you have for the word there? In the sense of cutting a compact because made by passing between pieces of flesh. 
Okay, that's a weird definition. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> okay, but a compact uh, made by passing between pieces of flesh. It's like, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? So let's expand our defining that a little bit more. We'll go to some selected lines of explanation from McClintock and Strong's Cyclopedia of Bi- Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature. Jonathan, go ahead with Covenant there. A mutual contract or agreement between two parties, each of which is bound to fulfill certain engagements to the other. The Hebrew word is derived from the root, he cut, and taken to mean primarily a cutting, with reference to the custom of cutting or dividing animals in two and passing between the parts in ratifying a covenant. In making such a covenant, God was solemnly invoked as witness, whence the expression, a covenant of Jehovah. And accordingly, a breach of a covenant was regarded as a very heinous sin. So, Rick, this practically is a way to seal something in a very sacred way, right? Yeah, you know, and it's, it's a strange tradition for us to look at and say, well, they cut an animal in half and they pass between the two parts to ratify the covenant, but that was this symbol of making this thing signed, sealed, and delivered, and basically unbreakable. And we'll we'll expand on that a little bit more. Let's look at, and and throughout the podcast, we're going to look at some of the covenants, the promises that God has made, and see how serious and solemn they are. So in the Old Testament, making a covenant was serious business, as as you're saying. So let's look at one example of one of God's covenants. Jonathan, let's go to Genesis 9, verses 12 to 13. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. We sometimes hear this referred to as the rainbow covenant. Yeah, okay, the the rainbow. God puts the rainbow in the sky, you know, and people may look at that and think, well, that sounds kind of corny. Well, think, think about this. You know, you had the deluge because of all of the issues with the, 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 the spirit beings coming and, and commingling with humanity was not appropriate in God's plan. So all of that got wiped out. And afterwards, Noah and his family get off of this ark, and God says to them, I will never flood the earth again the way I just did. And here's, here's the symbol of the promise. So what that gives you is a sense of the seriousness with which God made that promise, that covenant. That same word is used when it talks about marriage in the scriptures. So it shows a dedication, and he says, for all successive generations. So this is a generational dedication from God Almighty to all of humanity. And you need to take great comfort when God makes a promise that solemn. Now, let's take a look at the first marriage. Let's, and you know, Adam and Eve, okay, very simple, everybody knows this. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 to 25. And Jonathan, before we read this, we're not going to be talking about covenant yet, but there's something else here that we need to focus on. And this is from the King James Version. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave 
and his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, so you've got this this event, and it's explained to give us a lot of, actually a lot of detail to establish this idea of marriage. But the key factor here is in Moses is writing the first five books of the Bible. In his writing, he says, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. So let's focus, let's stop there and get an understanding of what that is because this has everything to do with the solemnity of marriage. So Jonathan, cleave or cling, what does it mean? Well, it means cling or adhere, figuratively to catch by pursuit. Okay, so it's, it's like, okay, well, does that doesn't sound like anything too extra special. Well, let's think about it. Let's go to another scripture and see how else this word is used. Now, pay close attention to where this word cleave comes up in Joshua 22, verse 5. Again, King James Version. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So who are we cleaving to in that verse? It's God Almighty. So the idea of cleaving to God Almighty, you know, you look at that and say, well, of course you want to do that. God's the creator. Well, with that same kind of intensity, we want to cleave to our spouse, stay close to, be, be, be attached to. To cleave is to powerfully and intentionally hold on to. We are to cleave to God, which means powerfully and intentionally following his ways. Jehovah God instructed men to powerfully and intentionally stay by the side of their wives to the point where the two become one. That's some powerful stuff right there. Well, why do you think that in Genesis it's the man who's supposed to cleave to the woman and not the other way around? I don't <laughs> mind cleaving. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> it's, women are much smarter about these things than men. Jonathan, I don't, you know. Uh, I agree. <laughs> okay, all right. And, and, and I really do think that it, this is an important factor. There, there's two things. There's that natural propensity for, for a woman to be, and, you know, some people get all, all upset about this, but, you know, you've got that nurturing sense about, uh, about, about women. They're, they're, just, they're just better in general, not in every single circumstance, but in general, at nurturing. And because the Bible is very male-centered, Okay, we know that part of the curse was that the woman would be subservient to to her husband. That was the curse after the garden. We we know that the instruction had to be given to the man to make sure it would be in place because it was his responsibility. So he needs it, the instruction more more fully than than the woman does. And God also gives him the instruction so it will be followed. It's his job to make sure that happens. So men, if you're listening, think about that as a responsibility. How do we do that? How do we live our lives in a practical sense, cleaving to our spouses like that? So now, 
We've talked about that. We started out talking about a covenant. How do we know marriage is a covenant? Because the scriptures tell us in Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And if you continue um, on to verse 16 with that Malachi 2, in the New Living Translation, it says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. This for I hate divorce is a really difficult scripture because many divorced Christians have an overwhelming guilt whether they were divorced before they became a Christian or afterwards, and they feel like they don't fit in with either married people or single people because it's this special category that regardless of their circumstances, people might secretly label you as a failure or even worse, a damaged failure. And while we know there's this whole list of things God hates, including lying in Proverbs 6, knowing that God specifically hates divorce is crushing for people. What do you say to those that are suffering with this guilt? You know, that, that, that's a tough question. A lot of it really does depend on circumstances and, you know, what role you played, what happened, is there adultery? I mean, you got all kinds of things going on there. But the, the key thing is to take wherever you are, whatever that has happened, whether it was before you came to the Lord or not, I mean, all of these things weigh in, but take wherever you are and decide, okay, from today forward, I can make my new commitment to strongly cleave to the Lord God Almighty for his direction, his providence to help me work out my life. And then if you did something wrong, then you repent for that. You ask for forgiveness, and then you live a life that shows that repentance. If wrong was done to you, you learn how to forgive over time. You cleave to the principles of God Almighty and take steps forward. That's the, I, at this point, that's the, I think the best that, that we can do. Um, that's, that's worth a whole podcast, actually. It really is. So go ahead, Jonathan. Well, um, I was thinking uh, along the lines of Julie saying God hates divorce. Even though God hates divorce, he divorced Israel. Hmm. Jeremiah 3 verse 8 says, And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yeah. Yeah. He did. God divorced well, we Israel. Don't, we, don't, we don't often think of God like that, marrying and divorcing Israel, but that it's there. Isn't that something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let, let's go to, let, let, let's, let's wrap up this, this piece on what marriage is. We're talking about covenant. So, Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about covenant keeping. Covenants are sacred and serious. We should never enter any covenant relation that we do not intend to keep or even have doubts about keeping. And if you want to learn more about covenants, uh, go back to episode 874 called God's Three Great Promises, Which One Is For You? 874. Okay, so there's a lot here. There's a lot here, and marriage is a lot more than feeling in love. You know, the romantic evening sharing in love of marriage needs a deeper and more profound base in commitment. So we know that marriage is serious business. 
but how serious in relation to our other commitments? You know, that is a really important question. Life is full of commitments and responsibilities that range from verbal agreements to signed contracts for services and ownership. With the vast number of obligations we enter into in life, where does marriage rate in terms of its requirements and its need for attention? And I will tell you before we go any further that the need for attention to marriage is often forgotten because of life's other commitments. So we need to, that's why we're talking about the seriousness of the vows of, of, of marriage that we take when we, when we promise ourselves to our spouse. We cannot forget the attention that needs to be paid. Well, part of that seriousness is because here you've asked God to come and bless and oversee that promise. So if you're going to invite God to that promise, boy, that, you better be very serious about such a, such a promise with a witness like that. So I asked some Christian couples we know who've been married a long time to add some practical marriage advice for us. I'm calling these love notes for us. It figures, Jonathan, she's calling them love notes. (laughs) (laughs) Just take a note. Um, And you both have been successfully married for a long time. So, Rick, let's start with you, hot seat. Do you have any words of advice on how you and your wife, Trisha, are able to make this work? And you were married at, like, what? Age five? How long have you been married? <laughs> a long time. I was 21. I was 21. I actually got married at 21 the day after I turned 22, but I'm a very young man, and we've been married for over 40 years, okay? So, you know, when you think about it, two-thirds of my life have been married. And so, you know, there's a lot to say, but I will give you one word that I truly believe has helped Trisha and I navigate through all all kinds of storms and and things and 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 stresses and trials and 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 disciplines and the word is inclusiveness i i lead folks look you know christian questions is a very demanding demanding um scenario to be doing this every single week and to work a job and to have raised a family and to be an elder in our local uh, uh bible study group and all of those things is a, is, is a challenge. And also, by God's grace, I, I end up just being involved in lots of people's lives. And the secret for us, one of the secrets has been for me to pause regularly and include my wife, include Trish, in all of that the stuff that's going on. In, in sharing with her the things that I'm working on with, with other folks who have issues that, that just are looking for some and guidance and encouragement and what's going on with the CQ and all of this, just to stop and have her be a part of it. And, you know, it's not like I'm saying, okay, i got to spend time with my wife now. This is a cool thing to do because some of us are wired to be sort of in front. I, I'm, I'm a communicator, okay? That's, that's something that, that God has blessed me with. Everybody is not like that, to be able to express themselves in public. But see, my wife is wired to be that incredible support, and she gives me all kinds of pearls of wisdom in the background and, and gives me things to think about that I would have never considered. So inclusiveness doesn't just say pause and consider. It's pause, consider, share, learn, and progress together. Inclusiveness. That's, that's my, my word for you. That's excellent. Not what I thought, but that's excellent. <laughs> okay, so 
let's before we go further with 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 marriage specifically let's look at another example of another one of god's covenants jonathan let's go to genesis 17 7 and 8 i will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be god to you and to your descendants after you i will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God promised Israel the land. They have it now, and they won't lose it. I just had to quote something from a booklet I read called The Israeli Arab Peace Process and Bible Prophecy. Never before was an ancient nation destroyed, its people dispersed to the ends of the earth, and yet for centuries remained a separate and distinct people. Then for that people to be regathered to its ancient homeland and reestablished as a nation after nearly 2000 years is a contradiction of time and logic. The rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948 was an unparalleled miracle of history. And I found two great scriptures on this, Deuteronomy 31 to 3, just a quick excerpt. The Lord God will return and gather thee from all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. And Ezekiel eleven seventeen, therefore say, thus saith the Lord, I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And for that to have been predicted so long ago, and come true in our modern times is remarkable and faith-strengthening that God does what he says. And that's the whole point. You know, we're talking about marriage, and yet you go on down this tangent of the nation of Israel. Why? Because it was God's covenant to them. I am giving you this land. You are my people based on the faithfulness of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. So God promises, God delivers. That's a covenant. That's what our marriage should look like. Jonathan, let's get back to the marriage subject, a quote from marriage.com. I choose you, and I'll continue choosing you over and over again in a heartbeat. I'll always choose you. And that is a spouse-to-spouse promise. I will always choose you. Marriage is designed by God to be a lifetime commitment. Mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 9. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, Jesus said, it's not okay. Make it work. Look, we all have problems. The society we live in today makes it too easy for people to end their marriage instead of working at it. Sometimes there is a legitimate reason to, to divorce, but we're looking for the ideal. Yeah, and you know, and it's so important to realize that this is about, today's conversation is about the ideal, and we are not uh, pausing to consider those times, Jonathan, like you said, okay, maybe there are legitimate reasons that God is okay with, and yes, there are. That's not the point of the conversation today. 
The point today is to strive for the highest level of adherence to the promise that you make. If you strive for a secondary level, you want to do 60% or 50 or 70 or 80%, you know what? You're, you're not... You're, you're losing your objectivity. This is about ideals. So focus on the ideal of making a promise before God. The sobering truth is that marriage is the epitome of what any earthly commitment should be modeled after. This is an I am all in for all time under all circumstances promise. And Jonathan, you read that Mark ten three where Jesus asked, what did Moses command you? And I thought that was really interesting because when you look back in the Old Testament, Moses never commanded divorce. He permitted divorce and commanded that time be spent deliberately drawing up formal legal papers. It was a certificate of divorcement to be given to the wife. And once given these formal papers, it would protect the woman and allow her an opportunity to survive in society in another household. So Moses allowed divorce, but Jesus explained that this was a step backward from the original design that had been, as Jesus said, from the beginning. The principles never changed. Bible commentaries I read tell us that the rabbis of Jesus's day had a saying, if a man has a bad wife, it is a religious duty to divorce her. And so divorce was temporarily allowed only because of their hardness of heart. They were going to do it anyway. And this was not going to be okay for the Christian. Yeah, you know, and, and such, such, uh, such an attitude reeks of hypocrisy and satanic thought. I'm just telling you that. You know, this this taking something that is only supposed to be used in very certain circumstances and 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 watering it down so that you just get what you want when you want, why you want. Forget about it. This is not what we're supposed to be about. Okay. Jonathan had brought up about, remember we talked about Israel being uh, married to God, that idea of sacredness of marriage is carried through about how God loved his people. I just wanted to throw out Isaiah 54, 5, that says, for thy maker is thy husband, Jehovah of hosts is his name, and Jeremiah 3, 14, turn, O backsliding children, for I am married unto you. So there is that beautiful, just strong, not um, completely binding relationship. And that's what we're looking at. That's the ideal. That's what we want to focus on. That's what we strive for. So now let's 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 get some context in comparison with this. Let's look at the call to follow Jesus as a disciple, because that's a pretty serious thing as well. Jonathan, we got a couple of scriptures here. Let's start with Luke nine twenty three. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Okay, deny yourself, take up your cross, that means death, daily and follow me. Now let's go to Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Take up your cross daily, present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is what discipleship is about. Discipleship. Remember we talked about the kind of promise that, that uh, marriage is? Well, discipleship is an an. I am all in, no matter the cost to my personal will, emotions, and way, until the Lord takes me, promise. So it is another kind of all-in promise. So is there a difference between discipleship, the promise we make there, and the covenant of marriage? Yes, there's a very significant difference, okay? Marriage is, and we mentioned this in, in the last segment, is a covenant of God. 
We know that because the scriptures specifically tell us that. Jonathan, let's go to Proverbs 2, uh, um, 11, and then 16 and 17. And this is from the American Standard Version. Discretion shall watch over thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of evil, from the man that speak perverse things, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the foreigner that flattereth with her words, that forsaketh the friend of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. Okay, so the covenant of her God is referring to the marriage covenant, and it's saying discretion and understanding need to keep you from all kinds of evil. Do not go down the road of forgetting the covenant of your God. Uh, Matthew Poole has some, uh, just, just a few lines, Jonathan, from Matthew Poole's commentary. The covenant of her God. The marriage covenant, so-called partly because God is the author and institutor of their society and mutual obligation, and partly because God is called to be the witness and judge of that solemn promise and covenant and the avenger of the transgression of it. Okay, so that's a serious covenant, a covenant of God. As a matter of fact, there's another example of a different kind of covenant of God. This is a covenant between David and Jonathan, and this was made, this promise, this solemn promise was made before God in the midst of great adversity. Jonathan, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 8. And this is in the American Standard Version. Therefore, deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of Jehovah with thee. But if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? So King David kept the covenant or promise that he made with Jonathan after Jonathan's death. David said to Jonathan's crippled son, I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father. For all that the land your grandfather, King Saul, owned, I will restore to you, and you will eat at my table regularly. So that's how seriously David took that covenant once Jonathan died. To him, he still wanted to, to, to support Jonathan's family. So you, it's a big thing. Marriage is no small thing. Uh, Julie, some, some, a few lines of commentary from John Wesley. Uh, yes, a covenant of the Lord. He said, that is a solemn covenant, not lightly undertaken, but seriously entered into in the name and fear of God and in his presence, calling him to be the witness of our sincerity therein and the avenger of perfidiousness, which means lack of faithfulness or disloyalty or betrayal, in him that breaks it. Okay, so you've got commentaries all over the place. You've got scriptures all over the place that's saying covenant, a covenant of God is a deeply serious thing. So the marriage covenant is of the most serious in nature, serious to the point of till death do us part serious. Marriage is the highest, longest-lasting commitment we can make between human beings. That's a whole lot to say right there. Well, I've got some sad statistics for you. According to the Pew Research Center, the divorce rate of Americans 50 years old and older has roughly doubled since the 1990s. And among those 65 and older, the divorce rate has roughly tripled since 1990. And there's a term for this, which I didn't know, but it's called gray divorce. Gray, like gray hair, gray divorce. And it's thought that this category is increasing due to three main reasons. First, we have a greater life expectancy. So people think that they still have time to find a better suited partner, or they want to pursue their own interests and independence in their remaining years. Two, 
there's changes in society, and we see this all over, that the attitude towards divorce and divorced people is much more relaxed, and personal fulfillment and happiness is valued more highly than an unsatisfying marriage. And finally, people postpone a divorce because they wait for the kids to get out of the house or until certain retirement benefits begin. But great divorce. Great. You know, make my day. <laughs> you know, and it's just it's a, such a tragedy because we are missing the sense of the commitment that was made before God. And when it's about my happiness over keeping my commitment that I made before God, I've got to second guess myself. I really, really do. Because if I am a Christian and I am following after, after God's will, God wants me to work through my issues, not run away from them. So now let's compare this, this, this marriage covenant, this covenant of God, again, back to discipleship. The difference Marriage is a covenant. Remember, discipleship is a solemn vow of fidelity. Jonathan, Psalm 116, 12 to 15. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of his people. I am not ashamed of my dedication to God Almighty. What does it cost? Well, the next verse, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. It it costs us everything, but that doesn't matter. That's what our discipleship is for. So discipleship is the highest commitment we as humans can make to God through Christ, whereas marriage is the highest, longest-lasting commitment we can make between human beings. Both high both lofty but different there's definitely a difference julie jonathan how about you how long have you been jewel been married and do you have a love note for our listeners sure well jewel and i have been married for 33 years and i think respect and appreciation are the ingredients that keep a marriage together when respect is lost for the husband it falls apart without it there's no hope in the relationship for a wife if she loses appreciation from her husband the relationship can crumble. We need to be in the moment when we're together. Make time for conversations. She needs to be reminded continually of the value she brings to the marriage. Try to take burdens off of each other. Share responsibilities in the home and don't compare who did what. When we see something needs to be done, just do it. And now I asked Jewel to share some tidbits and her comments were this. She said, it's important to understand and appreciate the weaknesses and strengths in each other so that you can help and encourage each other daily. And we try daily to find a way to make each other's lives easier. The biggest thing that makes our marriage strong is having the same goal and working together on it. I, that, that, that's overwhelming. You know, these are really great points that you two brought out. I would encourage our listeners to go to CQ, um, ChristianQuestions.com and go to our CQ Rewind show notes because we're going to have all of this commentary printed out in there. We take the notes for you and you can find that in our Christian Questions app or on our website. But take a look at what these beautiful, beautiful practical examples are that Jonathan just gave us and that all of our love notes have. Appreciate that. Okay, there's a lot to it. Marriage is no easy task. Uh, It's a lifetime of learning, and Jonathan, thank you for that. Covenant-keeping, Jonathan, what do we have? The marriage covenant is witnessed by God and is for the duration of our human lives. 
Discipleship is answering the call of God and vowing to follow His will through Jesus for all eternity. You've got two promises. One is earthly, the other is heavenly. But they are to take everything that we have to give to them. So looking at marriage this way is kind of scary. By taking it so seriously, we're positioned for receiving its blessing. With so much work and seriousness in place, how do we manage the tragedy of losing our spouse? Man, not, not enough can be said about trying to put such a tragic event in place. In these times of, COVID, of the COVID virus, many have unexpectedly lost their spouses. And just because we're Christians, we should not expect our sorrow and pain to simply be erased. We should instead look to God's mercy as we struggle through our loss. And we have a quote here uh, from the French writer. How do you pronounce it, Julie? Let's go with Andre Moreau. Thank you so much. A happy marriage is a long conversation which always seems too short. Oh, there you go. I really like that one. Um, You know, widows and orphans are our most vulnerable, and it's devastating because, Rick, as you had said, COVID-19 has made millions of them. People are suffering right now, and there's a lot of scriptures that demand that we pay attention to the widows. Um, So perhaps you know someone who has lost their spouse and this marriage episode wasn't of interest to them, please let them know that this next segment is for them and send them a link to this podcast. Yeah, it really is important. And and we're going to reintroduce Fred. He used to be, Jonathan, our guy behind the board. That's right. When we were on the radio so many years ago and was with us for many, many, many years. And uh, several podcasts ago, we, we did a two-part series on perseverance. And we heard a lot from Fred about persevering through the, the difficulty of losing his spouse. We didn't get to everything he said. So we wanted to bring Fred's experience back here after he lost uh, his spouse. So one of the things we asked him, and there's, there's going to be four sound bites we're going to give you in this segment, was, okay, what, what's helpful now? How, how are you handling things now? That loneliness, what can people do around you in order to, you know, help you with that? And that's probably include you in some things, but what if you don't want to go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember that the person's there. Kind of has to happen. Life moves on. You can't be always be in crisis mode. I remember when it first happened, Sue first died. The first month or so was pretty much a blur. I only remember pieces of it. It really didn't hit until around the two-month mark. It's like, oh, this is real. People can do is just remember that uh, Apostle Peter said, remember the widows and orphans? Mm -hmm. Yeah, do that continually. Just remember and because it's easy to forget find it where it's out of sight out of mind i have to participate in this talk to people and it's hard for me because that is i'm by nature introverted people who are extroverted they look at me and they they don't understand that it's like you just go out there and do it yeah you know so so the idea he he brought up remember the widows and spouses again julian you had already talked about that if you hear it twice within two minutes you better pay attention because there's something serious about this. People suffer and they suffer internally and you just don't see it. And I've got a, a love note. Uh, here's our mail. Our friend Florence will be celebrating her 100th birthday soon and she unexpectedly lost her husband about 40 years ago and she gave us two pieces of advice. First, 
She was overwhelmed with cards and casseroles coming all at once in the first month or two of her husband John's passing. And like Fred said, well, then it was all a blur. She really needed those cards in month eight, in year two, and Mm. so on. And she said people forgot and they moved on with their lives, but this was her life and she was now alone. So that's something we can all remember. And her second piece of advice in her love note to us was, she found that people coming up to her felt awkward and refused to say John's name, thinking it would upset her. But this was the man she loved and she missed dearly. She wants to say his name. She wants to talk about him in their story. Just because he died doesn't mean his memory was erased and not mentioning his name erases him. That's a good point, you know, to be able to, to remember the, with the fondness of the life you had together. Thank you for that, that love note. Jonathan, a scripture that goes well with this and what Fred said and what Julie said about Florence, uh, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, you know, we want to look for ways to re-engage in life and find our focus through fellowship and scripture and loneliness is really a a powerful thing. So how do we, how do we fight loneliness? Yeah, you know, and we're actually going to be doing a a full podcast on loneliness uh, several weeks from now. So folks, you can take, take a look for that because it's a big subject and most people who are lonely are lonely quietly. And it's this, this internal battle that you just don't see, you don't have any idea about how do you find it? How do you deal with it? Well, that Isaiah 41 scripture is important. But, you know, being alone, uh, like I said, it, it's especially difficult because it's such a silent trial for most of us. It's the kind of trial that just kind of wears you down day by day by day because you feel like there's nobody around you. So let's look at First Peter four twelve to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Rick, this fiery ordeal is talking about how we get purified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the depressing magnitude of, of the trial of loneliness needs the hopeful perspective that it is God's tool tool of purification. And, you know, here's the thing. We, we'd love to pick the fire of our trials, wouldn't we? You know? Oh, yeah. But see, the problem is if we pick the fires of our trials, it would actually be kind of like lukewarm water. And <laughs> just, it, 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 we wouldn't make it hot, yeah. So you need to have it to be God's tool in God's hand to give us his direction. Mm. You know, I was surprised to find that there are five widows that Luke mentions, and Jesus gave them all prominence and this would probably be a really fascinating study on its own. But we had the widow, Anna, the widow Anna. She was a prophetess. She was with Simeon in the temple when he met the baby Jesus. The widow of Zarephath, who fed Elijah with miraculously never-ending flour and oil. You probably remember her because he raised her son from the dead. The widow from Nain, Jesus raised her son from the dead. The persistent widow, she was the character in a parable Jesus told about the need for constant prayer and to never give up. And then we had that poor widow who gave all she had to the temple treasury. Remember, she gave what we call the widow's might. So five widows that Jesus elevated, and he doesn't do that to everyone. So this means pay attention. 
Yeah, and again, the loneliness factor and, and the inability to be able to cope factors are really, really important. So but let, notice all these widows were able to serve in a way. Yeah. And they were examples for us. So there's still service, even though you are by yourself. Yeah, you know, and that kind of brings us back to Fred. You know, and we asked him, okay, so, uh, you know, are you able to move on? And again, you know, service is a lot to do with that. Do I find somebody else? That's a hard one. Because right? there's some people who just, the answer will be no, and that's okay. And some people say, yes, I want to find, for me, a woman get married. That's okay. There's no right or wrong answer. To me, I've come to a place where I want to keep it where I put it in the hands of the Lord. If he has somebody in mind, it will happen. But if the answer is no, I have to be okay with that. Are you okay with that if that's the answer? I'm getting there. There was a time when the answer was like, no, I, I, I need to be with him. But now it's like, if that's the Lord's will, it'll be okay. I have to try to figure out other ways to fill that void. Because there is a void. Yeah, and it's massive. Yeah. So... The ability to move on takes time to grow into, and Fred was expressing that. It took him time to grow into that, but that's the important aspect of this thing. And, you know, again, it's perspective. He said, you know, if, if it's God's will, and Jonathan, that reminds me of Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? There you go. That's the perspective. Now, look, I know that the perspective is not instantly right there. You grow into that over time. But that you want to grow toward that kind of thing. Now, next next set of scriptures really is going to drive this home. Trusting and waiting on God's providence can be challenging until we compare it to the alternative, which is trusting and waiting on what I think. Okay, the context of these next verses we're going to read is Judah's great sin with idolatry. God begins by telling them of their coming failure because they have believed in the deceitfulness of imperfect man and his imagination over God. He shows them the sad future of those who live without him. And sometimes you lose a spouse and you're in that situation and you go into the sad, dark kind of thinking. And this is what was happening to Israel. In, in, they were trusting their own thinking instead of God's. Jeremiah 17, verses 5, uh, 5 through 8, we'll do 5 to 6 to start. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose hearts turn away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. You know, think about this. He will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes. Why? Because he's planted too far away from where the nourishment is. And that sometimes happens with loneliness. We get planted too far away. And sometimes loneliness can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you feel lonely, you act lonely, and then you're lonely. Yeah. And yeah, it, and it, it doesn't bring us anything positive, and it won't change. It's not going to just miraculously change itself. So now let's go to the other side of the issue. God now shows them, back to Jeremiah, the value of blooming where he had planted them. He gives them hope. Verses 7 and 8 of Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Okay, so here's the paradigm shift. The previous part was about believing your own ways, and now it's blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Listen to where this man is planted. Go ahead. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not 
fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. So there's a dramatic difference between confidence in my sinful way, being like a bush in the desert, and God's merciful way, being like a tree planted by the water where the heat's not going to bother you and the leaves remain green. Where do we plant ourselves in that lonely time, in that tragic time when we've suffered loss of a spouse? It's hard. And so you're saying that you may not be quite ready for all, you know, these promises and all that, right. you know, to be, I don't know, back to normal, you know, get get over it. You're, you may not be at that place, but put yourself in a place where at least God's providences can reach you and, and people that love you can reach you and friends and stuff. Plant yourself in the right place and then you can still be sad, but you're ready. You're ready right. for, for deliverance. Right. And it comes over time. There's no question that it comes over time. And there's got to be an increase of, of faith over time. And, and as a matter of fact, Fred talks about in this next soundbite uh, how the experience of losing his wife has helped to increase his faith. Yes, I think my, my faith is stronger now. It's almost like uh, like you have the stock market and you have those lines going up yep, and down, yep, yep. up to a higher point. It's, it's, not, it's not a straight line. You, you're going to have dips. One of the things you have to do is forgive yourself when you your flesh wants to go in the other direction because it does. That's where prayer comes in, into play. If you want to have a deep personal relationship with God, you have to fight for it. Relationship requires work and struggle. As you said before, did you get mad at God? I did. And then you feel guilty about it. <laughs> and But then you have to realize that God knows. Yeah. And he knows the pain because he sent his own son to die for us. So when you're sitting there angry at God and you realize that you're basically making a fool of yourself, he knows he's all about the forgiveness. So just turn back and go to, and go to him. It's worth it. All right. That's, we've got to be focused on moving forward. How do you do that? Well, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So think of a greeting card picture of a six-year-old with their hands together, serenely praying before bed. Is that what casting all your anxiety on him means here? Uh, no. Maybe if you're six years old, yes. But for an adult, no. Okay, think about casting your care upon God as a very physical action. Take a football in your hand and tell somebody to go 20 or 30 feet away. Now, I don't know if you can throw it that far, but let's say you can, okay? You take that ball and you throw it. Do you have that football in your hand anymore? No. 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 Where is it? Hopefully, the person caught it, okay? The idea is to throw your anxieties upon our Heavenly Father. And that is not necessarily a a quaint action. It's not necessarily that very serene and sacred-looking prayer. It can be full of tears and anger and frustration and, 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 and even yelling. It's okay. God knows you. So if you are suffering with the loss of a spouse, bring the anxiety and just pour it out. But the key is give it to God in such a way that he now owns it and you just wait for his providence. That's hard, but that's what we want to do. Here's the formula. 
for growing through frustration, and I stress growing through frustration when circumstances aren't scheduled in. First Timothy 6, 6 to 11, we'll do 6 to 8 to start. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. For if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Okay. Food and covering, with these we shall be content. You know, it's a growth process. We've got to get get the growing going, all right? You don't have godliness contentment immediately. You work into it. Because our lives are in God's hands, we can over time learn to rejoice in spite of our losses. This rejoicing in God's providence is a sure way to combat the desire to fill the gap with other earthly things. Okay, let's go back to the verses, verses 9 uh, through 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And see, there's frustration there, especially for a Christian. Misplaced focus stifles our Christian growth. Let's go to verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So, tragic loss notwithstanding, our life's primary pursuit needs to be clear to follow Jesus always. When you've lost your spouse, it's hard. And you know what? In in verse 9, when it said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation, that's relying on earthly thinking. We sometimes want to just bury our sorrows in earthly thinking. But here's the problem. We may not be ready for people to come to flock to us and to flock back to them. But make sure you don't plant yourself so far away that when you are ready, you're not too far to be able to see it, to be able to hear it, to be able to feel it, to be able to be fed. Make sure you let your brotherhood be with you close enough so they can encourage you. This is a tough thing, the loss of a spouse. There's no question about it. One last piece from Fred. We asked him, you know, at this point, what would you say to someone else? If you're stuck in bitterness, bitterness like COVID is infectious. Yeah. The grief is is real. It's okay to grieve. There's no set time. There's no set way, but you can't grieve forever. Go through the process. Don't try to short circuit it. And if you stop, that's where that's where you get destroyed. Work the process. Keep going forward. And if you're somebody who doesn't have faith, look for it. Look for something bigger than yourself. That really is important. Look for something higher than yourself. And, you know, spoken from a man who went through that process for years and years. So that's an important thing. And I think of Philippians four eleven to 13. Jonathan, let's go to that scripture. Now that I speak, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ or him who strengthens me. So here's the thing. It says I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Look, there is no secret. The secret of godliness is it's living based on faith and trust in God through Christ. It's hard to do this, but 
we can do all things. We can get through these things through Christ who strengthens us. It's God's providence that we look for. Jonathan, what about covenant keeping keeping here? The marriage covenant is not exempt from serious trauma. The principles of fidelity we abide by within our marriage covenant can also sustain us through loss. We now must cleave to the word and will of God to carry us and lead us forward. See, the idea, remember, cleaving to your spouse, and we talked about cleaving to the word of God or to God, it comes back here, especially at the loss of a spouse especially even in the face of tragedy the principles of marriage covenant shine through as a comfort and a guide with a powerful understanding of marriage in place what can we practically do to enhance our relationship so for now we're only going to focus on a few of the many great answers to this question that have a clear scriptural basis as with any covenant a key to making it and faithfully keeping it always has to do with the respect for the other party. And Jonathan, you talked about that earlier. The deeper our respect for them, the more laser-focused we will be to keep our covenant healthy. I have some love notes. Okay. (laughs) Our friends Tom and Cheryl are married 42 years. And among other things, Tom says that learning to respect each other and recognize each other's strengths has been valuable. They co-labor together by doing all kinds of witness activities to spread the gospel, and that really strengthens them. And he said this, I know Cheryl has insights I don't, and I've learned to value her opinion. And it also helps that Cheryl is so thoughtful. Much of her life is doing stuff for others, and her example has helped me try to think more about that. So being a good example for each other and respecting each other, I thought were really great notes of advice. So I said to Cheryl, what are your love notes? And don't cheat and look and see what Tom wrote about you. (laughs) Um, And she said, love is a choice. We have to choose it every day, even though some days are harder than others. And she said, don't sweat the small stuff. In light of eternity, most temporal things just don't matter. And my favorite thing she wrote is, It's good to remind ourselves that our lives are, according to 1 Corinthians 4.9, a public spectacle before the angels of heaven and the eyes of men. So heavenly hosts are watching. Make it a good show. Because our best feeble efforts and victories in our behavior will bring glory to God. Some powerful stuff there. Some powerful stuff and some very clear themes as we go through this whole thing. So before we get back to um, these these aspects of building up our marriages. Let's go to one last serious covenant from God, and this one changes the world. Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, so there you have the Abrahamic promise. Now, it's not called a covenant there, and you say, well, where is it a covenant? And we're not going to read the scripture, but in Acts 3.25, it talks about the Abrahamic promise, and it says it's the covenant that God made. When God makes a covenant, and this covenant was to bless all the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham, who happens to be Jesus, when he makes a covenant, he keeps it. This shows his deep respect and love for his children. Jonathan, we have another quote. 
Yes, from Benjamin Franklin. Keep your eyes wide open before marriage, half shut afterwards. <laughs> so it's important for us to keep our eyes closed to the imperfections of our spouse. Uh, none of us are perfect. That's right. And let's not ever forget that big detail. That's not sweating the small stuff. That's a big one, okay? We're just not perfect. So marriage covenant builders. Let's go through some of these quickly. First is submission, okay? The first point is sure to bring a reaction, the idea of submission. Jonathan, let's go to Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. And be subject to one another in the fear of, of, Christ, uh, of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Okay, as the female representative of this group, yes, I need a little help here, submitting <laughs> to one another. What does that submission actually mean, and why does it start out with you submit to each other, but then it only focuses on the wives? Aha! Uh-huh. Well, first of all, mutual submission is important. To be subject to one another is to really be, to take others' perspectives at, to heart and to make them incredibly important. Then it talks about wives submitting to their husbands very, very specifically. So in a practical sense, there is this submission thing, but it's a two-way street. Now, how do we know that? Because the rest of the scripture tells us the other way of the street. So Julie, as we answer this question, we're going to look at the practicality of the submissiveness of wives, because you can't take it out of the context of the required submissiveness of the husbands. And this brings us to the idea of pure, unadulterated love, agape, selfless love. Ephesians 5, uh, Jonathan, now we're going to continue with verses 25 to 33. We'll take it in several pieces. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, you know, there's this sense of husbands love your wives just as Christ loves the church. And, you know, that gives you a sense of a picture that the, our marriage is to be, we, we, are, we are playing a role, if you will, to illustrate Christ in the church with the husband and the wife. And so the submissiveness is important and appropriate that we're submit, supposed to submit to one another, but it is dependent on the husband submitting and being like Christ. You can't do one part without the other. You have to have both of them for this to work. And if you think for one second that you can demand respect and submission from your wife and not be submissive to Christ, you are totally wrong if you are a Christian looking at these scriptures. Okay, so let, let's go a little bit, uh, a little bit further on this. Um, the willingness to, to uh, give your spouse the best of you. Okay, actually, we need to uh, get on to... Um, where, where do we just leave off? I just lost no, my place. You're, you're absolutely right, okay. Rick. Okay. Uh, we're ready to read verses 28 through 30. Okay, good. Okay, so it's the willingness. To, I'm sorry, I lost my place there. Give yourself the best. Give, give your spouse the best of you. To, to put her first. To be willing to die for her. That's a good place to start. Okay, so when you say a wife should be submissive to her husband, well, think about that in terms of loving your wife. How can we tell if we're doing this? Well, 28 to 30 helps us. 
So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So this brings us this sense of, of looking at our wives and being able to, to serve them. You know, the way you take care of yourself, if, you're, if you hurt your foot, you protect your foot. If you bang your elbow, you protect your elbow. We have to protect our wives that way. So, you know, Julie, this idea, well, do I have to submit to my husband? Well, here's all the things the husband is supposed to do so that you will lovingly, and enthusiastically be submissive. He has to play his part, serve and cherish. The two shall become one. Jesus loves the church as his own body, and we husbands must love our wives with that same passion. It's a big deal. Continue, Jonathan, verses 31 to 33. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So um, you had the, the idea of submission and then you have all of this stuff, and then you get this, this last line, she sees that she respects her husband. And Jonathan, you mentioned earlier on how important that respect is uh, to, to Absolutely. a man. Absolutely. Well, the husband has got to be worthy of someone to be her, you know, the worthy right. of her respect. He's so got, he's got to really live up to a lot of ideals here. Well, and, and think about it. The, the, the wife needs one line of advice in this whole thing, and the husband needed an entire paragraph. Okay? <laughs> so what does that tell that sounds you? That about right. It, well, okay, and isn't that the point? But the, the thing is, if there is a submissiveness, it is because things are in order in a godly way. Let's not forget that. This is the covenant that we've made, and this is the covenant that we need to keep. So now let's look deeper into how agape love, that selfless love, operates. This is going to reveal another marriage covenant builder, and that's a godly character in action. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-5. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. We hear this scripture so often at wedding ceremonies, I wonder if anyone actually pays attention to it. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that uh, they're just words, and they're beautiful words, and they're poetic words, but words mean something. And these words are describing the highest level of love. And what this means is our godly character has to be active. That is a marriage covenant builder. And if you're fighting with your flesh, it's your godly character that needs to be reacting and, 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 and cradling and cherishing and, and clinging and cleaving to your, your spouse. Next point, live with a forgiving Spirit, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I have two love notes for you. Uh, the first love note, my parents have been married for 56 years, and I asked them for their love notes, and they gave me two very practical answers be flexible and have a sense of humor because we're all very different and need to show preference to one another and laughter can get you through difficult times. But I also asked Tamara and Tom 
who've been married 49 years. And they had a really important thing. I try not to criticize him ever to others. And he does the same because that's destructive on a marriage or any relationship. It makes me cringe when I hear people bad mouthing their spouse. Yeah, I know. I know. And um, every marriage can go through difficult times, Tamara said, and it takes working through tough times to make it work. Give more than you get and be generous to each other. And a common faith elevates that relationship because your belief structure is the framework for all the rest. So the common denominator with all of our love note authors was a love and respect for God's will and God's ways and their common goal to be pleasing to our heavenly father that bonded them. And when you go into marriage, not assuming that divorce is an option, you first hopefully choose your partner wisely, and then you daily find a way to make each other content. Remember, like the apostle Paul said, whether in abundance or need, and we build each other up spiritually and emotionally. Okay, so, and that brings us actually to this this last point uh, of, of being a marriage covenant builder, and that is never go a day without intentionally weaving Jehovah God into your marriage covenant. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, Jonathan. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is no, not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him, who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And Rick, I did some research on the strength of the three-strand uh, twisted rope, uh, a quarter-inch thickness. It has a tensile strength of 1,700 pounds. Quarter-inch, you said? Quarter-inch. That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that idea of that third strand is so important because that's the binding tie. Bring God into your marriage every day intentionally. Jonathan, our final covenant-keeping points. The marriage covenant is a comprehensive experience-altering, no-holds-barred, lifelong commitment. If treated with the respect due a covenant witnessed by God, it can bring joy, growth, happiness, and exhilaration to your life. Reach higher regarding your marriage and be blessed. You know, it really does come to what do you want out of that covenant that you made before God? And the answer is if you take that covenant seriously, you want a lifetime together of going through hard experiences and wonderful experiences, of, of, of trauma and of victory, of, of questions and then of answers, of, of growing together side by side. This is not easy. And sometimes it doesn't even look romantic. But what it is, is a covenant that is based on commitment to one another till death do us part. What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Make sure that you keep that in the forefront of your married life. And your life can truly be blessed. Think about it. Listen, folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or uh, Google Play or uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, 
How did the Apostle Paul handle a slave owner? That's an interesting question, and you should hear the answer. Talk to you next week.